Take a bow, prescient one, fantasy mansion, predictor of the demise of NFL wide receivers, the latest being Martavis Bryant. I am not going to take a bow. I am not proud of predicting Martavis Bryant's demise. Why would I be proud of that? I like Martavis Bryant. In general, what types of receivers do I like? Big, fast, explosive field stretchers. Yes. Did you see the spectacular acrobatic catch that Martavis Bryant made in the NFL playoffs? My God, who doesn't like a player like that? Martavis Bryant is a sublime NFL athlete. He would be a fantasy WR1 if he had the disposition of Larry Fitzgerald or even Brandon Marshall, but he doesn't. He has problems. He's wired differently. There are a lot of receivers that have Martavis Bryant's skill set that never make it to the NFL because of these issues. They never make it to college. They never make it out of their hometowns because of the types of issues that Martavis Bryant is undoubtedly dealing with. Some never make it through high school. Some never make it to college. Others don't latch on in the NFL. Martavis Bryant made it through all of those steps, and then once he latched on in the NFL and became a productive player, it was then that things ultimately collapsed. And so we got to see it. But there are so many similar cases that we never see. The hidden difficulties of achieving those heights of athletic stardom. They're there, we just don't perceive them. It's like these guys are dropped out of the sky onto our televisions, and they're not. The challenges they face are immense. The lower the income bracket that you start off at, the harder the climb is. Larry Fitzgerald had an advantage that Martavis Bryant did not. His family had money, so it should be no surprise that he's been able to have a long and productive and prosperous NFL career. He's had challenges, I'm sure, both personal and professional, but my guess is they pale in comparison to the challenges that Martavis Bryant has faced, or even that Martavis Bryant's teammate, Antonio Brown, faced. One of the reasons that Antonio Brown did not go to a Division I program is because of his situation at home in high school. He didn't have a home. He was homeless. He didn't have the infrastructure to get out of Miami and join a Division I program. You need something. I mean, they did a whole movie on this called The Blind Side. You need something. You need some kind of support system to propel you through high school, into college, and onto the pros. Larry Fitzgerald had that. Antonio Brown and Martavis Bryant did not. And Martavis Bryant being out of the league in 2016 is the norm. Antonio Brown is the anomaly that you can go from being a homeless senior in high school with no college prospects. No way to even get to the college. Even if you get accepted into college, you have no way to get there. You have no money. You don't even have the money to buy a bus ticket to get to the university. So how the hell are you going to go to college? Think about it. Somehow, some way, Antonio Brown made it. He beat the odds. He's the outlier. That's one of the reasons why Antonio Brown is so damn special. There are a few NFL players that I like more than Antonio Brown, and his personal story is a major reason why. And why not? Why can't I like Antonio Brown for that reason, in addition to his athletic gifts? But we are really inconsistent about the way we perceive these athletes and the amount of sympathy that we pass on to the athletes. 
It's one of the more inconsistent phenomenon I've seen in the sports world. It seems to me that the amount of sympathy we pass on to athletes is directly proportional to how good they are and inversely proportional to how much we know about the rules that they violated. Think about it. Joseph Randall, probably the biggest mental breakdown that we've seen, not only in the NFL, in sports, since another NFL player, Lions wide receiver Titus Young. Titus Young, who was arrested three times in one week, including trying to steal back his own car. And what did you read about Joseph Randall? And what did you read about Titus Young? Jokes. Those guys weren't good players. So they very easily fell into punchline status. They became these perpetual punchlines on social media. But not Martavis Bryant. No, we saw Martavis Bryant achieve feats of athletic brilliance. So he's in a different category. He deserves our sympathy. Not Josh Gordon, though. Now, Josh Gordon is Martavis Bryant's equal just in terms of sublime athletic achievement. The problem with Josh Gordon is that we know too much about the details of the incidents in which he was involved. So we can't be as empathetic about Josh Gordon's situation as we are about Martavis Bryant's because we know too much about Josh Gordon. We know that he was driving when he had a bunch of friends in the car and every one of us looked at each other and said, what are you doing? You can't be the one driving the car. One of your friends needs to drive. You're the superstar. They're the posse. That's why you have them. You have an entourage so Turtle can drive. That's the reason you have them. That's why they're in the car. You're the last person that should be driving. You're such a knucklehead for letting that happen. What about Martavis Bryant? Well, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Do you think Martavis Bryant's been involved in some embarrassing incidents? Yeah, we just don't know about them. But as long as we don't know about them, we're happy to show you our empathy. But the moment we are allowed a window in and we can see your bad decisions, then we can come in and second guess. Then we can call you a knucklehead. And then the empathy vaporizes. It's gone. Just another knucklehead athlete that threw it all away. I don't care how we got here. I'm glad that people are showing empathy to Martavis Bryant. They should. I am. I just lament the inconsistency. I believe Josh Gordon should be receiving our empathy, as should Titus Young, as should Joseph Randall. Now, I'm not going to go on a full rant about this for a full show. <laughs> we are going to talk about fantasy football on this show. We are. I promise. I promise. Now, you may be listening to this show via Blog Talk Radio, but you didn't get the show last week. For a short period of time, Blog Talk Radio discontinued the ability for me to record a free show over the phone line to give it that underground sound. But enough people complained that they brought the feature back. So congratulations, underground minions. We're back. We're back in the bunker, baby. But we did lay down a hell of a show last week. And you can go to SoundCloud and search for Roto Underworld Radio on either SoundCloud or iTunes or Stitcher, whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. Look for Roto Underworld Radio in parentheses stereo, and you can listen to that show because we had an epic eight-minute rant to close out that show that people are still talking about. Go back, check it out. And if you've been listening to the underground sound, I also suggest that you give the, the hi-fi version a chance because we are able to add more sound effects and do more editing with the hi-fi version on SoundCloud. And if you're listening to it on the Blog Talk platform, the underground version has its limitations. Let's just say that. So I think it's in your best interest to at least give the hi-fi SoundCloud version a chance. But we will continue to broadcast on both channels because we have loyal listeners who prefer the underground sound. And I'm here to please, man! So I saw this today on Twitter. 
I'm selling Carlos Williams for a second rounder. Hashtag no brainer. <laughs> what? What? Why? Why would you do that? The reason why is because this person drafted Carlos Williams in the fourth round last year. And now they are selling him for a second rounder in 2016 in order to quote unquote, turn a profit. Yeah, gotta turn a profit. I'm a businessman. I'm in business. I'm in the fantasy business. Turning a profit. Yeah. Woohoo! Big profit. Turned a fourth rounder into a second rounder. Like magic. Yes. Selling high on Carlos Williams. Right, right. That's the flawed sell high logic we talk about. You can certainly sell high on certain players. On these airwaves, we talked about a number of overvalued players where it's time to sell high now. Thomas Rawls comes to mind. Devonta Freeman comes to mind. But Carlos Williams does not come to mind. More often than not, sell high is flawed logic. And get out of here with this second round pick business, by the way. Why on earth would you be compelled to sell a late round player who hits for a second rounder just because you believe that most late round picks don't ascend? That's true. Most late round rookie picks in dynasty leagues don't ascend, but some of them do. They're not all aberrations. Have some faith in your ability to evaluate prospects. You did a great job drafting Carlos Williams. Why would you cut your nose off to spite your face at this point in time? It doesn't make any sense. Wow, did I just use a cliche? Wow, wow. We have been cliche free on Roto Underworld Radio for, it's gotta be over 100 episodes. It's gotta be. I'm okay with that cliche though. I thought that cliche was apropos. We're gonna keep that cliche. Let's keep it in there. I'm happy about that cliche. I'm proud about that cliche. Once every hundred shows, we will drop a cliche, but only if it is maximum appropriate. And I believe to cut your nose off to spite your face was appropriate in that particular situation. But this assumption that, hey, if this guy was a late round pick in the NFL draft and he was a late round rookie pick, then he must be an aberration. Do you realize how many late round and undrafted free agent players start on NFL rosters? Spoiler alert, like a gazillion. And there is certainly no player that will be drafted in the second round of rookie dynasty drafts in 2016 that you can be confident will be better than Carlos Williams. You, no! What are you doing? Having seen a player succeed on an NFL football field is the most important possible data point when you are evaluating players. Period. I mean, is it not? What could be more important? Contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter or email us rotounderworld at gmail.com. Is there a more important data point that I'm missing other than success on an NFL football field? Mike Davis played on an NFL football field in 2015 and had no success. That's a big problem for Mike Davis. It's a big problem for Jay Ajayi. It's a big problem for David Cobb. The fact that they couldn't succeed at the next level when given an opportunity is enormously telling. Just like the fact that when Carlos Williams was thrust into the lineup for the Buffalo Bills, he was one of the league leaders in yards per touch. He was great running outside. He was great running inside. He was efficient in the passing game. There was nothing not to like about what Carlos Williams did on an NFL football field last year. By every measure, in every phase, he was a success. That's the player you want to sell now? And I get selling the hype on players. I get it. If there's irrational exuberance around a player like Devonta Freeman, 
Devontae Friedman. I think we've established as Devontae Friedman. Whether it's Devontae Friedman, whether it's Thomas Rawls, or even Jeremy Langford. If someone values Jeremy Langford as if he wasn't inefficient in 2015, then you should sell Jeremy Langford. Sure, yeah. But there is no hype cloud surrounding Carlos Williams. It doesn't exist. And it sure as hell doesn't exist if you can only get a second rounder for him. You need to keep playing that hand. You don't want to fold for a second rounder. Carlos Williams? He had the best speed score in the 2015 running back class. That's not a guy you want to sell. No, no, no. Because he doesn't project to be the starter in 2016. So no one's giddy about what Carlos Williams can do for their fantasy team in 2016. Therefore, there is no hype. Therefore, you can't get a first-round pick for Carlos Williams in most situations. So you should be holding on to him. You shouldn't be focused on trying to turn a profit. You drafted Carlos Williams for a reason, to reap the rewards of fantasy points. And that's what he's going to deliver in the years ahead. You didn't draft Carlos Williams to play this perpetual game of flip cup or flip stud in the case of Carlos Williams. Just keep flipping and flipping and flipping until, yeah, maybe you can finagle a first round pick if you add other pieces to Carlos Williams. And yeah, then maybe you can turn that first round pick into a Bishop Sankey. Yeah. Hmm. Before trading an asset, the question is not, have I made a profit? That's not the question you should be asking yourself. That shouldn't be the goal. As long as I can make a profit, I win. I should do this trade. No, that's not the question. The question is, is this asset overvalued? If the answer is yes, trade it away. That's it. Don't fall into a profit trap. Because even though you can make a profit on Carlos Williams now, if you were to trade him a year from now, the chances are the profit would be even larger. The margin would be bigger. Because Carlos Williams is still undervalued in the marketplace. Matt Forte is overvalued. Sell him. Thomas Rawls is overvalued. Sell him. Davis Maddock talked about this with Ladarius Green on last week's Football Diehard show. Oh, the Steelers just traded for Ladarius Green. Time to go sell him. <laughs> Time to cash in my Ladarius Green. Time to turn a profit. Wait, but Ladarius Green can help you win a championship this year in your fantasy league. Profits. What? What are you doing? The pathological youth chasers are more concerned about turning a profit. The moment their cards hit, they just want to cash their chips in. They're more concerned about playing this profit flip game than they are about actually fielding a productive fantasy team. The NFL free agent signing period is winding down. NFL free agency was stimulating for two days. So it was more like a jolt of caffeine and it's been wearing off quickly. Because who's left? Nate Washington? He's finished. Mike Wallace? Whew, not pretty. Oh wait, Ruben Randall's still available? Oh yeah, I read that Ruben Randall was smart to wait it out. Yeah, right. He's going to get paid. Sure. It's never a good idea to wait out free agency. Because... As players sign wide receivers, the market shrinks and the remaining teams have more pricing power and you lose money because of it. So get out of here with this Ruben Randall was smart to wait it out. Ruben Randall isn't sitting back playing some game of chicken with NFL teams. He's not calculating about this. You know that, right? He's just not getting good offers. He's just not getting anything that would inspire someone to sign a contract. He's not savvy, he's desperate. 
And I feel like there are owners of Ruben Randall in Dynasty Leagues who are desperate like Ruben Randall is. They're just as desperate as Ruben Randall is right now in free agency. They are holding on, man. There are some diehard Ruben Randall fanatics. He is so polarizing. I think Ruben Randall is the most polarizing player in fantasy. Contact the show again at Roto Underworld on Twitter or email us rotounderworld at gmail.com. Is anyone as polarizing as Ruben Randall? I say no. Because the people I've communicated with about Ruben Randall either love him and have complete faith that he will one day achieve at least fantasy WR2 status. Or the other side of the spectrum is people that don't think Ruben Randall can play at all, that think he's absolutely terrible, that think he should be and will be flushed out of the league sooner rather than later. I am on that side. But there's no middle ground. I don't know anyone out there that's like, yeah, Ruben Randall's pretty good he's gonna be okay he's not bad he's just a solid nfl contributor situational fantasy relevance not great but not bad he's pretty good ruben randall no no one thinks ruben randall is pretty good no one i mean if you do contact the show if you think that i want to hear from you because you're that one guy everyone else thinks he's either the worst wide receiver in the league or has incredible upside that's it but think about ruben randall who's been in the league four years And you couldn't have designed a better situation in fiction for Ruben Randall in 2015 when Victor Cruz didn't play a snap and the team cut Corey Washington and they bequeathed the number two wide receiver role to Ruben Randall. They said, you're our starting flanker. You're it. You're our guy. The next guy on the depth chart is Dwayne Harris. You're our guy, Ruben. And Ruben proceeded to finish with 797 yards. He couldn't even get to 800 yards in that situation. The Giants were down huge multiple games last season where they were throwing for the entire second half. Advantageous game flow for Ruben Randall. And he turned that into 797 yards. The Giants were top 12 in team pass plays. And Ruben Randall finished with 797 yards. I don't need to look at the advanced efficiency metrics on Ruben Randall. All I need to know is... He was locked in as a starter in week one. The team was top 12 in pass attempts with Eli Manning at quarterback, no third receiver of consequence, no target hog tight end, and Ruben Randall finished with 797 yards. Playing Philadelphia twice in the same season, he finished with 797 yards. (laughs) In the preseason, there was talk that Ruben Randall playing flanker would see snaps out of the slot, and that's very common. The flanker often sees a significant percentage of his snaps from the slot position, the Y position. The Y and the Z often flip-flop depending on the formation and the play call. So that made sense. That was intuitive, sure. But then I read that that's a great thing for Ruben Randall, that he'll be in the slot because, here it is, McAdoo loves the slot. (laughs) So buy Ruben Randall in 2015 because McAdoo loves the slot. Where do people come up with this analysis? When people say things about coaches and coaches' preferences as if we don't know that they don't know what they're talking about, it makes me laugh. How could you say that with a straight face? Ruben Randall is the anti-Brian Quick as well. These guys came into the league at a similar time. Both were second-round picks. Similar measurables. Big, not fast, not explosive, not particularly agile, but productive in college. Ruben Randall, 40% dominator rating at LSU. He was a young, precocious college producer. 
That's why there are those people on the other end of the spectrum that still ardently believe Ruben Randall will one day ascend. They remember him as an uber college producer. And he's 6'3", 208. He has a 99.7, 65th percentile height adjusted speed score. That's good. There are reasons to like Ruben Randall. But those reasons have diminished over four years of inefficient play on an NFL football field. He can't play. He can't play. We know this because we've seen him year after year after year. The reason why he's the anti-Brian Quick is because we haven't seen Brian Quick. We haven't had the opportunity to see Brian Quick receive more than nominal snaps throughout his four years in St. Louis. That's why I believe Brian Quick was the steal of free agency. There's not much game film on Brian Quick other than the first half of 2014 when he was the Rams starting number one wide receiver and he was efficient. The first half of 2014 wasn't that long ago, but that's really all we have to go on with Brian Quick because he came from Appalachian State. We know that small school wide receivers take longer to develop, so that's natural that Brian Quick would be a situational receiver for his first couple years. Then he was thrust into a starting role, and he was productive as the team's number one starting X receiver. And it makes sense. Like Ruben Randall, Brian Quick had upper percentile college dominance. 48.4% college dominator rating. And his height adjusted speed score was even better than Ruben Randall's. 105.5, 82nd percentile. Super long arms, 34 and a half inches, 96th percentile. Because of the long arms and his height, Brian Quick has a 10.06 catch radius, 62nd percentile. Ruben Randall's catch radius, 9.88. It's why we have these metrics. It's one thing to be a college producer. But if you have 10th percentile burst and 28th percentile agility like Ruben Randall, you're going to struggle to have success at the next level. Anyone that's falling in love with Laquan Treadwell at this point, I would ask you to look at Ruben Randall. Go watch Ruben Randall's film at LSU. Some of it looks strikingly similar to Laquan Treadwell's film at Mississippi. And so far, the measurables we have on Laquan Treadwell look very similar to Ruben Randall's measurables. But Brian Quick showed a bit more burst, was a little more agile, and faster than Ruben Randall. And that might make all the difference. We don't know for sure what Brian Quick is. We know what Ruben Randall is. I think four years is a big enough sample size, don't you think? Whereas with Brian Quick, when you cobble together all of the snaps and targets over four years, you have, at most, one season of production to go on. A fraction of what you have to go on with Ruben Randall. And I would much rather spend a nominal amount on a player with great potential who exists in this nebulous cloud. Everything's opaque. We can't quite see what he is yet. We have to squint. And we can't quite put all the pieces together. We're just not sure of what the picture looks like yet with Brian Quick. With Ruben Randall, the sample size is so big, it's in 1080p HD quality. Super crisp. We can see how bad Ruben Randall is. Brian Quick signed a one-year deal with St. Louis for $1.5 million guaranteed. Basically, a one-year prove-it deal. That was the steal of free agency. 
How do I know that? Because I went to the playerprofiler.com data analysis tool. And I suggest you all go there and start using it. There is a fee. It's part of our premium package. But if you appreciate the show, if you appreciate playerprofiler.com, I would think that you'd be happy to pay, particularly because just the tool itself is worth the money, is worth the investment. And I pulled wide receivers based on height, weight, college dominator, and height adjusted speed score. And then I sorted them. I said, give me a list of comparables. Wide receivers that are more than 215 pounds, 6'1 or taller, so taller than six foot, height adjusted speed score, 105 or above, essentially just an arbitrary threshold. I know it's an arbitrary threshold and we rail against the arbitrary endpoints all the time, but I was just picking a number that I consider good, 105 or above. I consider that good. That happens to be the 80th percentile line of demarcation is a height adjusted speed score of 105. And then a college dominator rating of 35%, because that's just intuitively what I believe is good. And it just so happens that 35% happens to be the 50th percentile line of demarcation. So above average college producer, a size speed specimen, that's it. Those are the specifications for the report that I pulled from the data analysis tool. Would you like to hear the wide receivers that fit that criteria? Again, more than 215 pounds, taller than six foot, height adjusted speed score of 105 or above, and a dominator rating of 35% or above. Here's the list. Calvin Johnson, Doriel Green-Beckham, Demarius Thomas, Vincent Jackson, Julio Jones, Dante Moncrief, Jeff Janis, Quincy Inunua, Marquez Colston, Brandon Marshall, Michael Floyd, Jalen Strong, Dwayne Bowe, Jordy Nelson, Larry Fitzgerald, Brian Quick, Alshon Jeffrey, DeAndre Smelter. What? 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 A guy with those comparables just signed a one-year deal for $1.5 million at 26 years old! Oh! The Steelers just signed Ladarius Green. Oh, the seal. <laughs> Let me try that again. <laughs> Some of these voices are hard. <laughs> They're tricky. Oh, 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 oh.